This episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. We thank you. Welcome to episode 49 of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, The Father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, a.k.a. Matt Rawlings, and I am joined, as always, by your trusty co-host, Jackson the Thun, and don't interrupt my intro! I need to get the vitals! <laughs> we are a spoiler podcast. We spoil the movies we discuss, and on this episode, we are looking at Reanimator from 1985. 15 cc's of reagent. This is not an advertisement for a new movie. This is a warning. If you are squeamish, if you have nightmares, you? if you have a weak heart, before you experience Reanimator, think very carefully. H.P. Lovecraft's classic tale of horror, Reanimator. Remember, you've been warned. He's dead? Not anymore. Jackson, when did you first see Reanimator? Three years ago. I think I've landed on that. Um, that's as uh, conclusive as I can get it. You know, it's one of those movies where it feels like it's been in the back of my mind my whole life. You hear that name and, and you just instantly know that, that famous poster with him and the serum. Um, but I'd say three years ago is the first time I actually sat down to watch it all the way through. And I think it was actually on Shudder, of, of all things. Or maybe it was Prime. But, um, yeah... I have seen it. Uh, we discussed this earlier. Uh, every six months, I have to watch it. It's a tradition. Um, it just ends up working its way into my watch cycle. So, um, And I appreciate a different aspect of it every single time. Uh, it's something that I focus on, like whether it's the writing or the editing or the color, um, just something to appreciate every single, every single watch. Yeah, cool. I saw this on VHS back around 86 when I was 14. And at first... Frankly, I didn't get it. I wasn't mature enough to see that this the clever kind of Frankenstein satire that I see it as now. So for those of you who haven't seen it, and I can't imagine you're listening to this podcast and haven't seen Reanimator, but the IMDb synopsis reads, after an odd new medical student, that's putting it lightly, arrives on campus, a dedicated local and his girlfriend become involved in bizarre experiments centering around the reanimation of dead tissue. That's okay. Mm-hmm. It's average. Yeah, for IMDb, it's not bad. So mm-hmm. the plot is pretty simple. Uh, Herbert West, played by Jeffrey Combs, is a medical student who arrives at uh, Miskatonic University, a uh, telltale sign that this is loosely based on an H.P. Lovecraft tale. After having uh, an experiment go awry at the University of Zurich, which is a great intro, he immediately clashes with our our antagonist is there is there a protagonist and an antagonist in this movie um, there's, there's the lesser of two evils i think and and the greater of two evils is uh the doctor dr carl hill played by the late great david gale which we'll talk more about the cast later but we meet medical student dan who takes weston as a roommate and we meet dan's fiance megan played by the great barbara crampton We quickly learn that the evil Dr. Hill has designs on Megan. And in the meantime, Wes conducts his experiments to try to reanimate dead tissue, hence the Frankenstein tale, including a cat, um, (laughs) which is bonkers. Um, Dan gets drawn in. Things go wild. Dr. Hill is killed and reanimated as a head and a body and continues his pursuit of Megan 
in a scene that is now legendary among horror fans, leading to a confrontation between Wes, Dan, and Megan versus Hill. What do you think of the plot and screenplay written by three screenwriters, including the recently deceased Stuart Gordon? I think it's great, specifically the dialogue. Um, the plot itself has a few uh, holes as far as the science goes and the med- medical terminology. Uh, it's not not quite accurate, as, as I'm sure you can guess with the whole uh, reanimation theorem plot line. But, um, you know, it, it's pretty good. I would say that they took the H.P. Lovecraft serial and made it into something entertaining that you can actually watch because I feel like a lot of H.P. Lovecraft's writing is just thinking about really, really creepy stuff, but that doesn't make for a good viewing experience. So they had to add in some action and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think they did a pretty good job. Um, I did read the original serial short story, and uh, it, it's a loose adaptation. They use the characters, but the plot is completely different. But I mean, that was kind of necessary. Yeah, and, and so... The short stories, I haven't read them in a long time. I do remember reading that Lovecraft actually didn't like those tales. He just wrote them for the money. Mm-hmm. But uh, what did you think of them? Because I haven't read them since like 97, 98. So. They're pretty good. I, there are six parts, and I think the first one is the best one uh, because it's the most, you know, the most reanimator. Uh, the rest of them kind of take a turn. I think the fifth, the fifth one out of six takes place during World War One. And Herbert West is out on the battlefield taking soldiers and reanimating them, uh, which is kind of strange. But, um, you know, I, they're, they're good, but not great. They're definitely not Lovecraft's finest work. Yeah, that's what I kind of remember. It's just been, been too long. But, but going from, you know, mediocre to great, uh, mm-hmm. spoiler alert, let's talk about the cast. Um, Jeffrey Combs you know, kind of became, well, not just kind of, he became stereotyped by this role. Um, He is, by all accounts, the exact opposite, a really playful, nice guy, um, and really talented, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and he was given time to shine as a different kind of character by Gordon, who I think saw him as uh, a actor rather than just a bit player. Um, but definitely, yeah, he, he was cast as the mad scientist, kind of weird and, and persnickety guy for the rest of his career. But um, he does it well, so I'm not complaining. Yeah, he did the Reanimator sequels, uh, Castle Freak, and of course, his unforgettable role in The Frighteners. Have you seen The Frighteners? Yeah, yeah. Wait, wait is that the one that has um, uh, Marty McFly in it? Yes, it is. Peter Jackson. That's one of my favorite Peter Jackson movies. Yeah, absolutely. So then we have uh, as Dan Bruce Abbott, who is he's serviceable. He's kind of vanilla. He's fine to me. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot of standout moments. I think his character is just uh, leveling out uh, Herbert West, keeping him from spiraling just into insanity, which is what he would do if he didn't have somebody to counteract him. in the short story, he's just the narrator. He's not really given a character, uh, though it seems like they really wanted to have Dan be a protagonist of sorts, the nice guy. So they, they added that into part of his character because the narrator in the story is just as obsessed with bringing people back from the dead as uh, Dr. West is. But in this, he's more hesitant and he kind of sees that uh, Dr. West is out of his mind. 
Yeah, um, but then we get the lovely and ageless Barbara Crampton, who mm-hmm. I think is just delightful. Yep, I would agree. Oh, does she ever age? She looks the same. I know. Yeah, I follow her on Twitter, and whenever she recreates uh, shots from her movie or, or post pictures of herself, I'm like, is that a picture from the 80s? What? How is she? And we, we saw her in, um, in recent movies. She's still doing horror. She's still in the yep. genre and going to conventions and stuff. And yeah, she hasn't aged today. Yeah, she was just in a few years ago. Was it We Are Still Here or whatever? Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. Uh, she was amazing. in Your Next, I think. That's right. Yep. She was in Your Next about 10 years ago. Um, and then we get to David Gale, who is absolutely great as the evil doctor, is he not? Yeah, oh yeah, he's slimy, uh, but that's that's how he's written, and he really pulls it off. Yeah, and then, of course he wasn't like that in real life. Like Crampton, mm-hmm. he was primarily a soap opera actor, um, and <laughs> this has kind of become well known by now. Because of the extreme nature of one of his scenes with Barbara Crampton, his wife at the time divorced him over it. Oh, wow. Well, that's devotion to his craft. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, The story, if you watch the DVD commentary, which I did many, 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 many years ago, um, I can't remember if it was Stuart Gordon or Combs or Richard Band who said it, but said that during the screening, she got up and goes, how could you? And she walked out and she never went home. That was it. Um, and apparently Gail, we'll talk more about it, but Gail didn't want to do the scene. I mean, he kind of was like, I don't really feel comfortable with this. And so, uh, that's sad. Mm-hmm. That's sad. But, uh, anybody else in the cast you want to talk about? Uh, not really. I mean, we have a bunch of background characters and, and bit players, uh, but that main central cast are the real people you focus on. I mean, you have Dr. Halsey, obviously, Megan's father, right. uh, who is one of the first uh, or most significant experiments of West, uh, who goes kind of crazy. And interestingly enough, in the short story, he's the villain. He takes Dr. Hill's place. Um, Really? But uh, they decided to keep Megan's father more sympathetic and have Dr. Hill be crazy, who is basically taking over Halsey's role. So it's kind of a weird uh, dynamic they've got going on. But yeah, I mean, that that's basically your main cast, and they're the, uh, the stars of the show. My, I think the person who does the best job is Jeffrey Combs, though, as you said, Dr. Hill is so, like... Ugh, you would not be want to. You would not want to be in the same room with him, just for the very reason that he's in love with a with a student that is seemingly thirty, maybe even close to forty years younger than him. Yeah, I'd say he's portrayed like in his fifties, and she's like portrayed like in her early twenties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so he's slimy. He's pretty gross. Yeah. So. What about the score by Richard Brand? Um, does it sound familiar to you? Yeah, um, <laughs> we've talked about Psycho on the show before, uh, and that's—I mean, everybody knows that it's basically the main theme is ripped off Psycho. But I don't mind it so much. I think the opening credits are pretty cool. They remind me of Full Moon Pictures, which, ironically, you know, it's an Empire movie, so that's basically a Full Moon. It's Charles uh, Band, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know, it, it's it's catchy. I mean. They're, if they were going to rip off anything, Psycho makes sense. Yeah, and ironically, uh, Charles Band, when he was shown the screener of the film, said he hated it. And then when it was a success, he claimed all the credit for it, which is mm-hmm. Charles Band-like. Um, 
I don't know. The score, it's too, it's too close. It's such a ripoff. It's such a ripoff. I mean, if Bernard Herman were alive, he would have sued the pants off of him. But oh, um, what about the cinematography? Good. Yeah, I think it's. I think the Beyond uh, is is uh, Gordon's opus as far as cinematography goes. But the use of color in this movie is really great. I mean. You've got lots of drab gray themes, and then as soon as Herbert shows up, everything's you know blue and that neon green and the reds and everything, uh, really foreboding. So I think they did a pretty good job, though not as inventive as some of his other films. Yeah, the cinematographer on this was uh, Mac Alberg, who was uh, Swedish and uh, uh, started doing either Danish or Swedish. So who knows? Maybe he was you know related to Peter. Um, Peter Nelson, but uh, Nielsen, but um, he started doing, uh, shall we say, adult fare early in his career, um, and, and then he did a lot of work for Charles Band. I think it's serviceable. I don't think there's anything great about it. I mean, the like the liquids. I mean, that's just liquid from glow sticks. Yeah, you know. I mean, it's not. But so be it. But where I really think we need to talk about. Mm-hmm. And where I think this movie shines, let's talk about the effects work. Yes, uh, done among uh, by by many, but among them the late great Car- John Carl Beekler, mm-hmm. who would go on to direct Friday Thirteenth Part Seven. What do you think of the effects in this movie? Amazing. I don't know how they did some of the effects. You know that it still totally flabbergasts me, especially the headless Doctor Hill. Um, I get how they did it sometimes when they're holding his head in front of his body. That was really just him sticking his head through a trench coat. Um, but sometimes it's holding the head away from him, and the head is moving. But, and it's not an animatronic. It's actually his head. I have no idea how they did it. It's very impressive, even by today's standards. Well, they just stuck him in basically, I think, like they did with Kevin Bacon in Friday 13th. I mean, it was just, mm-hmm. you know, him on his knees or whatever, you know. And um, with a hole cut through it, I think that's how they did most of it. Apparently, I read that uh, David Gale was a heavy smoker. And mm-hmm. so um, one of, one or uh, many of the actors would go and light cigarettes and hand, put them in his lips for him so he could smoke <laughs> in between scenes because he couldn't reach his hands. So, uh, But anyway, it's and, and the cat scene's a little hokey, but the rest of it. Yeah. Um, one of the special effects artists on it claimed that they used, uh, typically said on a horror movie set, you'll use about one to two gallons of blood. Mm-hmm. They used 20 gallons of blood. Doesn't surprise me. Animator. Yeah. You have all the medical gore, uh, which is the grossest kind of gore. I think we can all agree. Uh, whenever there's a surgery scene in a movie, that's the grossest kind of gore. It's so sterile and, and everything's shot in perfect light. Um, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you have the scene early on where Dr. Hill peels the head off of a cadaver in front of everybody. Uh, yeah, makes it 25 gallons. Sounds just about right. Oh, man. So I, I can't imagine what that set smelled like. But a mm-hmm. um, little bit of the trivia. Um, this was turned into a stage play, a musical, no less, which I would have loved to have seen. Wouldn't you? Yeah, uh, though I'm hesitant to endorse that idea. Who watched the movie and thought, yeah, this could do with a musical number? Well, it was it was Stuart Gordon. I mean, it was his idea. He produced it, and he even had a splatter zone. If you were in the first three rows of the oh theater, you had to sign a waiver 
because you would get just doused in blood and well now and, I'm in. and goo. Uh, yeah, exactly. Now you want to be in the first three rows, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of like it's sort of like um, if you go to a rock concert and you're in the first th- two two or three rows, you know that the star is going to jump in and crowd surf across you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's like the people who fight to buy tickets in the first couple rows of an Alice Cooper con- uh, concert because Alice Cooper, back in the 70s, said on his last show, when he knew it was his last show, he was going to take a machine gun and just wipe out the first three rows of his uh, mm-hmm. audience. So, um, <laughs> some strange people out there. Um, yeah. So going back to the um, uh, infamous, well, first, first this one. And I first heard this from Gilman Joel um, to give credit where credit is due on Spooky Flicks Fest over at Retro Movie Geek when they covered Reanimator. I believe that's when it was. Do you remember the name of the doctor that Herbert West reanimates at, at the beginning? Yeah, Dr. Gruber. Hans Gruber. Oh, okay, great. It's Hans Gruber. I remember... This came out in 1985, three years before. Oh, it came before Die Hard? It came three years before Die Hard. So you're telling me, Uh you're telling me that Alan Rickman's character in Die Hard was inspired by the throwaway character in the beginning of Reanimator. I'm thinking that the name had to be. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, one of the two screenwriters, either Jeb Stewart or Stephen D'Souza, and Stephen D'Souza is kind of a notorious script doctor in Hollywood, obviously was a Reanimator fan. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that that has increased my appreciation for both Die Hard and Reanimator, which are both some of my favorite films of all time. Why? What made them watch the movie and think, yeah, that guy? I like that name. Hey, who knows, man? But you know, hey, I'll I'll, I'll take it. And so, um, which reminds me, I, I know that you also occasionally I I listen obsessively to it because I have this thing where I only listen to a few podcasts and. And so when I start listening to a podcast, um, I will go back and listen to past episodes. And so mm-hmm. I think I've listened to almost every episode of Retro Movie Geek. Um, do you believe Daryl Taylor doesn't like Die Hard? Do you believe he's being serious? To each his own. You know, I think that he doesn't like it as much as most people. And uh Maybe he doesn't hate it, but it's getting him attention to say that he doesn't like it. You know what I mean? <laughs> because everybody's got to at least appreciate Die Hard, all right? Bruce Willis gave his heart and soul and physically just put a huge toil on himself for our entertainment. So I've got to appreciate that. All right. To Daryl's defense, he, he I think he ha- I've heard him say that he doesn't actually hate Die Hard or Back to the Future. He just doesn't think either one of them are all that. I've heard people say they hate Psycho. Let that sink in. Um, Who are these people? What are their addresses? Um, I'm not going to do it on air because I I need to actually uh, take hits out on them. I need to look up what uh, definition of manslaughter is these days. I um, you must defend its honor. Those people need to be um, institutionalized. They are criminally insane. Yep. Um, like, I mean, they, like one of the fathers of Freddy Krueger, criminally insane, if they don't like Psycho. Then Even Norman Bates likes Psycho, and he's a psycho. I, I, look, I'm just telling you, if you don't like Psycho, um, get yourself 
some counseling. All and right. apparently okay. there are people who don't like Reanimator because it only has a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. Well, there, you know what? That, uh, <laughs> I think I broke them. These are people also who, if you listen to How Did This Get Made? Mm-hmm. And they go to Second Opinions. And they give like five stars unironically to the room. Ugh. Yeah, and, and Battlefield Earth. Uh, yeah, yes, 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 yes. These people or Megaforce or Hawk the Slayer or, or, or whatever. Um, yes, those, those people are deranged. I I'm think sorry. they enjoy uh, I think they enjoy angering people with their opinions. I'm not going to give them any more enjoyment. I'm just going to say get some counseling. All right. Like Sidney Pollock and Tootsie. I'm just going to say get some counseling. Um, anyway, um, do you know who Stuart Gordon originally wanted for the role of Dr. Hill? No. Who is that? Christopher Lee. That would have been amazing. <laughs> It would have been, right? But I don't think he could have played it as slimy. I don't know. He would have been more dignified. I don't know. He can come off as kind of slimy at times. He can play slimy. Maybe. I mean, have you seen The Wicker Man? Oh, yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. I, I had Dracula in my mind, but yeah. Yeah. Any guy that's recast as Nick Cage could probably play a slimy character. I, 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 I'm just saying, you know, he was, well, he wasn't, who was it that took his place in the remake? Christopher Lee. I can't remember the actor who took his place. Of course, I've only seen the Nick Cage remake once. And that was yeah, that's all you need. It's, it's, it's not. Yeah, a great that's all I need to see it. But I, anyway, um, but, and I know there are lots of horror fans listening right now, all going bees. Um, anyway, but this is the thing. So Christopher Lee turned this down. Uh, of course, he also turned down Halloween. Mm-hmm. And yet in the same year, I believe it was the same year. I didn't double check, but I believe it was the same year. He did The Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf. Yep, he sure did. I looked it up earlier. Uh, yeah, 1985 is both a great and a terrible year for horror. I mean, we had lots of classics. You look at stuff like Day of the Dead, Turn of the Living Dead, uh, House, Demons, Fright Night, Silver Bullet, even the stuff. But then you have The Howling 2, and that just is a like giant steps back in quality. Um, I think that might have single-handedly killed the horror genre for the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah, it was a uh, it was a roller coaster ride. But and going back to reference that infamous scene, which mm-hmm. the crew thought this was hysterical, and I think you already uh, talked about it, so you noticed it. The poster on Dan's wall above the bed. Mm-hmm. You remember what it was? No. Oh, I thought you did. It is. The film poster, because there was a, a, a film made by Jonathan Demme, the guy who directed Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. It was a concert film. Stop Making Sense. Great concert film. Great album. Stop Making Sense by... Oh, of Talking Heads? The Talking Heads. Yes. <laughs> I was just talking about the band, The Talking Heads, and how Dr. Hill is a talking head. Yep. Well, the, they a- did reference it. Yep. You got it. They had a, They did. If you look over Dan's bed... He's got the stop making sense by the talking heads over his bed. And the crew thought that was hysterical, by yeah. the way. Yeah, that's uh, Mrs. Gale, not so much. Foreshadow. Um, so what else do you want to talk about with Reanimator? 
the editing, I guess we could talk about that. I think it's quite good in a few parts. Um, speaking of Dan's bed, if I were to just say the words, no, no, yes, yes, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, great editing moment. Very iconic. If not, uh, it's, it's very not safe for work, but, uh, but pretty funny. I think the editing is, is pretty, is pretty well done. Um, for the most part. I mean, it does the job a lot in a lot of the scenes, but then there are occasionally uh, some really funny edits. Uh, it does that old trick where somebody will say something like, that could never be possible, and then it cuts immediately to that thing happening, um, which is common with Stuart Gordon movies, I feel like, because that happens in the beyond as well. Um, but as an editor watching this movie, I did appreciate a few of the cuts. Technically, I would say this is a really sound movie, but that's not where its strength lies. Its strength lies in uh, the characters and the writing um, and just the tone of the movie in general. Yeah, I think the editing is always sharp with Stuart Gordon's movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at this, you look at uh, uh, From Beyond, you look at The Dolls, you look at Castle Freak, uh, uh, maybe not so much in Dagon. Well, maybe, I don't know. It, it, but... Um, yeah, he was a master of editing. I mean, he really he kept his movies tight, even though the original running time of this was well over two hours. And the director how cut. how did he get it down to eighty six minutes? I don't know, but he he did a great job. And I I, I am forgetting the the name of the editor right now. I should be ashamed because editors are heroes. But mm -hmm. man, oh man, oh man, this is edited well. Yeah, he ha he knows how to get talent. Um, he surrounds himself with a great cast of, of actors that he uses frequently um, and great technical um, uh, skilled people in the industry to deliver something that's both entertaining and it's something that you can study in film school. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I don't know, outside of Re Rebecca McKendry's class at USC, I'm not sure how many yeah. film schools are running Reanimator, but... Definitely not Liberty. I don't think they would show this movie. <laughs> No, your future film school, probably. You're going to have to do that on your own. But anyway. All right. So what else you want to talk about here? So, okay. I love the introduction between Dr. Herbert West and Dan Kane. Um, ah, what are you studying? And then coldly, Dr. West says, death. That is the perfect <laughs> introduction to such a morbid character. Um, and the perfect first line for him in the present time. Um I love their interactions and I just wish that Barbara Crampton was given more so that it could be the perfect like trio. She's not focused on as much as she is in the beyond. I mean, obviously she's a main character in that movie. Uh, I feel like she's kind of just the damsel in distress for a lot of this. Um, I, after the first 15 minutes, her role kind of disappears as, as a, uh, as a leading lady, but, uh, I still respect the writing. I mean, they were working with a character that was invented solely for the movie. It wasn't in the uh, short story at all. So what they did with her, I think I can respect at least. Um, and at least she's given more respect in Reanimator than she is in Chopping Mall. Yeah, well, yeah, but this was an early role for her. I mean, I think that the only thing she had done before this, I, I didn't look on IMDb, so I may be wrong, but... Um, as far as film role, she had like a very, very short role in, uh, Brian De Palma's body double where she's the, you know, the cheating ex-wife of Craig Wasson's character. 
Uh, a lot of her scenes got cut. So then she does this. But, you know, yeah, then she does Chopping Mall. Then she does From Beyond. And in From Beyond, I think she finally kind of shows that she has the stuff. And yeah, she's an underrated actress. She mm-hmm. really is, I think. I think she's really solid, solid. And I think especially when we get to, as you mentioned, your next and uh, we're still here. She really shows her stuff. And she's a huge horror fan, too, which I always appreciate in actors uh, who are in the genre. She's tweeting about them all the time, and she really appreciates them uh, and what they did for her career. So, you know, she just seems like a lovely person to talk to. Um, and I wish she would get more roles these days. Just cast her in everything. Yeah, well, she's producing now because she's, she's the uh, producer of the Castle Freak remake. That's right. Uh, yeah, I that, heard that. Yeah, so, but yeah, she is a huge fan. If you, uh, like I do, when I watch um, uh, The Last Drive-In, which just unfortunately, as we're recording this, came to the end of its second season. Mm-hmm. Um, why it's not on every week, I don't know. It should be. Um, but uh, she live tweets during, you know, that she's watching The Last Drive-In. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, she's a horror fan, absolutely, through and through. And so if you listen to her interviews and, like, um, over on Mick Garris's podcast or whatever, yeah, she's a huge horror fan. And, yeah, it is great to hear. Yeah, definitely. One of my favorite actors. Yeah, like I said, and even though she has a short filmography um, for the most part and big feature films, you know, she left such an impression on me. Um, So the last thing I I really want to touch on is the climax of the movie, uh, which is actually somewhat yanked from the short story. I think with a few changes, the last part of the short story um, in it, a bunch of zombies rush Dr. West and he kind of nearly sacrifices himself it's implied that he survived um but it's fun to see lovecraft's vision translated onto the screen because uh, quite honestly zombie action is a bit less exciting on the printed page it's actually uh, my favorite part of the movie i think yeah it's and then of course but then even after that you get Mm -hmm. uh which uh there's a the scream by barbara crampton which is her voice uh, this is not a blowout moment where they go looking for somebody to come in, you know, an ADR it. That's, that's her voice. And, um, uh, man, oh man, oh man, oh man. Uh, what was Dan and Herbert thinking, you know, um, let poor Megan lie. But anyway, it was, um, yeah, it's got a great ending, but it's just, it's, it's just, it's hard to talk about this movie. First of all, cause it's so short and it's tight. But mm-hmm. it's hard to talk about this movie and not just gush and not yeah. just become kind of like Chris Farley on SNL. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> remember that scene? Yeah, that was cool. You know what I mean? Because it's just yeah. it's just fantastic. And it's so fun. I mean, even with its flaws, it's so much fun. You're along uh, on the ride with these characters and you're totally invested. Uh, you can forgive any plot holes, any uh, lack of medical knowledge that goes into this movie. Um, like early on in the movie, uh, Dan is trying to resuscitate a patient and they use a defibrillator even though her heart is not beating. When defibrillators are used to stop right. or, of like a regular to resuscitate heartbeat. a low heartbeat. Yeah. yeah. Or, yeah. Or one that's so just, they're just shocking a dead line. person. Yeah. They're just shocking a dead person for no reason. Um, yeah. Doesn't make much sense. I mean, no wonder she's not coming back, Dan. But um, 
I can forgive the medical the medical inaccuracies in this movie because obviously it's based on a short story from the early 20th century and they didn't have the same knowledge. And it does try to be as accurate as possible uh, with the characters and their intentions. Uh, but it obviously had to change some things for the screen, which I think is okay. It would have been a very boring movie if it was a straight adaptation. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, the, I, what I remember is that you can't really do a straight ap- adaptation of a Lovecraft film because there's mm-hmm. just so much you know he doesn't describe anything it's always just so horrific that they can't he can't even describe it blah 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 so all right what are you what's your rating and recommendation with reanimator i'm gonna have to give it a nine out of ten i would i would call it a nine out of ten uh a buy or a stream on shutter um it's just one that you can keep coming back to yeah and it is on shutter and also 2b tv right now as, as mm-hmm. we're recording this I'm right there with you. It's a nine out of ten. I call it a buy. I think it's a it's a great movie. It's fun. Got to have it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, folks, um, stick around for our pick for next week for episode fifty. Can you believe that? That's so crazy. It's gone by so quick. Yeah, episode fifty coming up. So. You can find us uh, at fatherandsonwatchhorror.com or fathersonhorror uh, on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We have a closed Facebook group. And so you can find me as Pastor Matt R uh, on Twitter and Letterboxd. And where can they find you, buddy? Well, at... Crap, I I stumbled on my words. That's right. At Twitter, I'm at Kane underscore Hero 12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero 12. On Letterboxd, I'm at Kane Hero. That's one word uh, spelled the same way. And I've got a YouTube channel which is floating around on the internet. Yeah, absolutely. So we want to once again thank our Patreon supporters and ask that you consider becoming one as well. You can get exclusive content and uh, also make picks for us and even appear on the show. So, and it's all... All goes to helping to put uh, Jackson the Sun through film school. So you're, you're helping to support an aspiring horror filmmaker. So, um, and we want to give a shout out to our favorite podcasts, uh, horror movie podcast, Land of the Creeps, Retro Movie Geek, Terror on the Tube, the Huh? podcast. <laughs> I've also been listening to The Secret History of Hollywood, which is a great podcast. Uh, the first season's all about the great Val Luton, who, of course, produced Cat People and The Leopard Man, and I Walked with a Zombie, and so it's really great stuff. So shout out to all those great podcasts. So are you ready to hear what we're going to be covering next time for our 50th? Yeah, late on me. And it's an anniversary. Sweet. It's the 40th anniversary, so we got to go with it. It's The Shining. Yes! The great The Shining, yes. Stephen King, Stanley Kubrick. Although they disagreed, obviously, over the movie. We'll talk more about that. Mostly Kubrick. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk more about that next time. So, um, thank you to our Patreon supporters. Thanks for listening. And sorry for the audio glitches. We've had some problems with Skype on this call. And hopefully our editor, Megan, will not be too angry with us for what we had to cobble together. But hopefully we'll come out coherently i also want to say i put this on twitter and i i just stupidly forgot to say it during uh, the howling episode but i mean it um folks we're in trying times hope you're being safe hope that you're uh, trying to do what you can to promote uh, reform and justice but uh, in a peaceful way and that you're trying to be um, a solution not part of the problem and so I said, look on Twitter that if you uh, donate to a food bank, a food pantry, a soup kitchen, a homeless shelter, 
then I will put your name into a kitty and I will uh, pull one name out and one of you I will send to you a brand new Shout Factory copy of The Howling, which is fantastic by the way. So um, if you would do that, just let me know. You can either DM me or send me a pic or whatever you want to do. Tag me on Twitter or whatever. And uh, I will pick a name and, and we'll ship one of those out soon. Sometime here in the next couple of weeks. So, All right, buddy. Well, say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye. And remember, cat dead. Details later. All right, folks, remember the family that watches horror together slays together. See you next time.